0: You're telling me I came here all the way from downtown.
1: (laughs) Sup nerds, it's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert and I am joined as always by my trusted co-host, swarming of many Seattle Storm bodies to Sabrina Ionescu in the WNBA opener. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? <laughs>
0: that's going great, man. I always, I have to try to process what you're saying as you're saying it, and then I never know how to react. So that's, that's perfect.
1: Just keep it on your toes. Much like the Storm we're doing to Sabrina Ionescu. Heyo. It was very funny. The best tweet I saw about it, someone tweeted, uh, said, Sabrina Ionescu, colon, exists. Seattle <laughs> Storm, get her ass. <laughs> For anyone unaware, the WNBA started a couple days ago and it is very good. And the first game had at least, I think the official team of horse would be the Seattle Storm because of Sue Bird playing against the New York Liberty who have Sabrina Inescu, who is a rookie, but she's propped up to be like a LeBron-esque figure of the WNBA. And uh, they just like first play the game, double teamed her and she ended up doing all right. But uh, she had a bit of a rocky start because the Storm were just like, fuck her up, fuck her up.
0: Yeah, it's like the classic veteran to a rookie like, you ain't shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but it's her first game and you're all over her. <laughs> I thought it was great. I appreciate
1: it. She still played pretty well, but uh, the Storm one handedly. And Sue Bird looked great. Uh, I'm so glad. She missed all of the last season with a knee injury. I'm so glad Sue's back. One of the greats. Mm-hmm. So before we get into talking about some more basketball stuff, we have to take a bit of a detour into the Teal Memorial locker room to center ourselves. Uh, so how about we uh, we take a little journey over there? Let's. So, do you know who is waiting our arrival in the Teal Memorial Locker Room? They've got a mask on and they're staying six feet away from us as well. Well, that makes me very comforted. But <laughs> who? It's our new patron. Hey, and who might that be? That new patron is Ernest Mena. They are our newest patron, helping keeping the show going. And of course, they are joined six feet away behind them and then also six feet away from each other by our existing team of producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Wow. Vander Maiden, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three, he sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, and Lobster Bisque. Expertly done. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to stay true to my craft, much like these NBA players who are now seeing go out and be very good at shooting. Uh, I'm trying to be in that same regard of all I did in quarantine rather than go out and see friends was recite this list of people keeping the show going.
0: I mean, you are a professional word sayer. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a
1: wordsmith, professional vocal cordist. The <laughs> instrument I play is my throat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds interesting. <laughs> you know what else sounds interesting? What's that? The sponsor of this episode of Horse. Who's our sponsor? Our
1: sponsor is Tavor. Tavor is a beer app that you have on your phone. It's the best way to get beer, craft brews, and trying new and exciting labels directly to your door and then directly into your mouth and down your gullet. And what better way to get beer than not at a bar? Don't go to bars. (laughs) Don't. Everyone stop. (laughs) Yeah, please don't do that. So Tavor is very simple. You sign up in the app, you choose the beers that you are interested in. They have two new ones every single day and you can add them to your personalized crate. And then as you add them, you can just ship them whenever you're ready. And the price of shipping doesn't change with the size of your order, which is very solid. I don't like when places do that. Thankfully, Tavor does not. And uh, it's more cost effective than buying and shipping one-offs. So you can put together a whole little fun mix and match crate. And uh, they work only with independent Independent breweries around the world. So you can also justify this as supporting local businesses. We all love doing that.
0: Support local businesses and drink some beers. What's wrong with that?
1: Nothing. And if you want to save money on top of all of that, as a horse listener, you're in luck. Because if you download the app either on the Apple Store or the Google store, you download Tavor T-A-V-O-U-R. And if you use the code horse, you will get $10 off your first order of $25 or more. So Download Tavor, use that code HORSE, put $25 a beer with your cart, and oh no, what's this? Now it's only $15? Hey, hey! And now beer is coming to me safely, and I don't have to go to a bar and all of that, and I'm supporting local businesses. Hooray, Tavor! Saving the
0: world, right? Right. I mean, that sounds like a (laughs) win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win. There's
1: so many wins, I can't even process all the directions
0: in which it's going. A lot of wins. (laughs) (laughs)
1: so with all of that taken care of now i think we can get into our first true segment of the show which uh, we all like to call full court press get it like the news
0: wait i'm thinking of no i do get it i do get it now nice all
1: right good good good. yeah you know it took
0: you a minute but you got
1: there and that's all that matters (laughs) adam this episode i think there's only one thing that we can talk about in good conscience i think if we talked about anything except for lou williams wingate We would be going against what makes horse horse. So, sweet
0: Lou, dear
1: sweet Lou. Do you want to give a little bit of a recap for the folks who might be unaware of of the implications of Wingate?
0: You know what? I don't want to rob you of this experience because I can tell you're, you're brimming with excitement. It's emanating out of you, so I want to give you this opportunity. It's just the
1: perfect, what really one of the big sparking moments, of course, was the whole Brian Colangelo collar situation, which was just a bunch of people on Twitter finding out that a front office member of the Philadelphia 76ers had a burner account where he was shit-talking people, including his own players. And this was was similar to that except it was all done because of a rapper who made an Instagram story and then the NBA social media exploded yeah So, Lou Will is a backup point guard, shooting guard, combo guard on the Los Angeles Clippers. And he's very good, but he's a very interesting character in that he is noted for being good at basketball, but also having multiple girlfriends and then them knowing that he's dating multiple people at the same time. Rappers have referenced this in multiple songs. And then he's also known for partying so hard that he doesn't tell other people on his team where he is going to party because they can't hang the same way that he does and then perform well in a game the following
0: day. I mean, I guess that's considerate of him. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to think of how to how to frame that information.
1: Like it is nice, but also like it's not a smart work decision, like it's always fun to think about the NBA as like an actual business of co-workers and stuff, and if your co-worker is partying like the day before a big presentation that's going to be concerning.
0: Right and it sounds to me like he's trying to do a modern version of what Dennis Rodman did which for anyone who did not watch the Last Dance documentary, which again if you're not even a basketball fan remotely I highly recommend watching it because it's very compelling. Dennis Rodman just left the Bulls in the middle of the season to just go party in Vegas and that sounds very much like something that Lou Will would want to do. For sure.
1: Also, Last Dance has now been added to Netflix. So if you already have Netflix, now you can watch it and you don't have to deal with ESPN's website and all of that. That is true. So with Lou Will, he, in this particular instance, got an excused absence to leave the NBA bubble because tragically he was going to the funeral, the wake, the showing. I don't know exactly what it was. um, Something in memoriam of a, a family member, someone close to Lou Will. And he was allowed to leave the bubble. And then they have normal quarantine procedures for if you leave for a family emergency and come back. Usually there's just like three days worth of tests you have to pass. Now, the problem is that after he went to this ceremony, uh, there was posts by a rapper named Jack Harlow. Do you know who this guy is? This was another, I, actually, I feel very old moment.
0: No, I actually, I actually do know who he is. Yeah. He's,
1: what kind of rapper is Mr. Jack Harlow?
0: Um, well, he's from Louisville. I know that. Uh, he has a very popular song called "What's Poppin'" that uh, references John Stockton. Probably not in a way that we want to endorse, but he has a line in the song where he says, "I can pass that B word like Stockton." Mm-hmm. So he's got a lot of women around, apparently. He he's very popular from that one song. He's a young guy; I think he's like 2021, 20, but he's he's definitely kind of been on the come up in the in the rap world. So now I feel good because I am older than you and I knew who Jack Harlow was. There you go. I, I, this is my hello, fellow kids, moment. <laughs>
1: so Lou was photographed with Jack Harlow at a gentleman's club which is what their official name is which I I don't understand I was listening to an episode of the low post where Rachel Nichols made a very good point they were talking about the whole Wingate situation and she said that uh you know, you're going there for the girls dancing. It should be named after the girls. Like it should be like a strip club or, you know, call it like something that gives credit to them.
0: She's like, no one's going there for the gentlemen. So I think that's a, a good point by Rachel. No one is going there for the gentlemen and no one is going there to be a gentleman. Not at all. <laughs> like, I don't know
1: at what point they decided that was going to be the branding, but it makes no sense. Yeah. So he was photographed with Mr. Jack Harlow at this uh, establishment and there was a selfie of Jack with Lou Will. Lou Will was tagged in it and then there was also a photo from the DJ performing that night and also mentioned that Lou Will was there. Now, there immediately were people taking screenshots and this happened like late at night. I happened to be up late working on podcast stuff and I saw it break on Reddit NBA like 1:30 in the morning. And then of course I stayed up till five in the morning to like <laughs> reading everything about it. <laughs> but basically, Jack ends up deleting that post because I'm sure Lou Will freaked out, rightfully so. And then Jack made a uh, interesting apology where he eventually deleted this tweet, but his tweet said that it was an old photo of him and Lou Will, and he was just reminiscing, and he did say reminiscing, because I miss him.
0: Right, but then wasn't Lou Will wearing an NBA face mask? Or had one with them or something like that?
1: Yeah, so in the selfie, Lou Will is wearing a face mask that was given to players in their welcome goodie bag when they got to the NBA bubble. So that was some Reddit sleuthing done. And that was so funny is you have all these people posting all this stuff. And since it was at such a late hour in the morning, no official writer got onto it. And then later on, like people did their homework and there were actual big articles posted and then it got even bigger. Uh, so I, I felt like a hipster knowing a band before it got big where I knew about the Lou Will And then like in the afternoon that day, people are like, have you heard about this Lou Will thing? And I was like, have I? (laughs) Right.
0: I mean, it's pretty hard to (laughs) claim that that was a photo from a long time ago when Lou Will is literally like holding that day's newspaper. (laughs) 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 What's also so funny about saying it's
1: an old picture is that you would have to be under the belief that there was a picture of them at this gentleman's club like sometime between April and June, I guess. (laughs) Like it's an old photo, but not that old. And oh man, I haven't seen my friend Lou Will in like over two months. So I'm going to post a photo about him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, none of it was a good defense. Also, can I just say, why the hell are strip clubs open? I just- Gentlemen's clubs, whatever you want to
1: call them. what What are we doing? So here's the next wrinkle is that they also serve food at this gentleman's club. And that was Lou Will's initial defense, is he laughed it off. I think he tweeted, he said immediately, he tweeted like, lol, ask anybody what my favorite restaurant in Atlanta is. Uh, And to Lou Will's credit, Ross Gold Onwude, who is a NBA reporter, she did a lot of stuff for the Warriors, she posted a link to a YouTube video that they put up in April where she was interviewing Lou Will about his favorite places to eat, and he listed Magic City because of the wings, which seems like a ridiculous claim to make.
0: You know, in fairness, Magic City is, I, I, I know nothing about Gentlemen's Club culture, but I have heard of Magic City in so much as it's mentioned in a lot of rap songs. Like, I feel like Drake mentions Magic City a lot, and that's a thing. I Perhaps they have good food, but saying that you were at a gentleman's club for the wings is kind of like saying that you read Playboy for the articles. Like, I don't know that I really believe you also who reads Playboy right now, but you get what I'm saying. Yes,
1: no, for sure. And I've never been to a a strip gentleman's establishment, but I do know that it's usually a thing where they try to have these obnoxious, food deals where the price is so good that you can't say no, like they'll do surf and turf for like $10 or something where you don't know if like, does this mean the food is really bad or they just really want to get people inside the door? I know something is wrong, but where is the deal? Like, where am I getting screwed over?
0: You know, I've never had the wings for Magic City, so I guess I can't judge, but it seems like a pretty poor excuse. Now, have you seen a photo of the wings
1: from Magic City?
0: I have seen a photo of the wings from Magic City.
1: Now, I saw that photo those wings look really They tasty. look fantastic. <laughs> so they good. look really good.
0: Oh. oh my gosh, they look very good. And
1: I'm not even a wing guy. I think that buffalo wings are some of the most overrated food out there because it's just like smaller, worse chicken that we've made spicy and now it's a thing. But these particular wings that some reporter put a photo of them up and it made its way around NBA Twitter, we'll obviously put a link to this on the website of horsehoops.com. They look
0: really tasty. Let me tell you something. If I had seen that picture of those wings from Magic City, In my research for our previous episode, it would have made the top three of stadium (laughs) foods, possibly.
1: For sure, it looks really good. The other wrinkle that backed up Lou's claim about the food being the reason he was there is that there are a line of wings on the menu named after Lou Williams. What are they? So the Lou Williams branded wings are called Lou Will Lemon Pepper Barbecue, which does sound incredibly delicious. Sounds very good. I'll also let you know that the other flavors on the signature style section are Uncle Jeff Honey Jerk, Justice Magic, okay, and Juju Rude Boy Jerk, which I would be ordering right the fuck now if I lived in Atlanta. <laughs> Even if he didn't like it, just to be able to say it. Yeah, I'd pay $15 just for the experience to say that to a person. And then them know what I meant and then give me food in response. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious.
0: Well, I guess maybe Lou was onto something. Maybe we're judging him too soon. So Lou's claim is that
1: he was just in there to go in, get the food, and leave. Now- I could believe him if you didn't see all the photos. Of course, we'll post all of these photos on the website. But the selfie he took with Jack and what the DJ posted and all this other stuff, it looked like maybe he did just go in to order some wings. But it did look like Lou got involved into some non-wing-based extracurricular activities after he got into Magic City. Also feels like if he really wanted the wings, could have got them delivered in some way because he is Lou Williams. So uh, I, I believe that maybe the food was the inspiration. I do not believe that he didn't do anything else.
0: Yes, you're, you're implying that beyond wings, there were also thighs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fair assumption to make. <laughs> oh, so what ended up happening to
1: conclude all of this is that he has to serve a 10-day quarantine because of His shenanigans, and that will cause him to miss some games because we are recording this on July 28th. The league comes back on July 30th, so he is going to miss some games. I think this was the right call by the NBA, even if he only got food this is still like the type of reckless behavior that you don't want to turn into a slippery slope. So I think that their decision to lay down the hammer and hit him with a 10-day quarantine is safe and smart and hopefully will make people not want to go out to gentlemen's clubs to get food while they're in the Orlando bubble.
0: I would agree. I do have to ask you though, uh, wing or drumstick? It
1: depends on the spiciness I would say that if I have a very spicy wing, I don't like having a wing because then I got to do the like tongue break apart through the middle thing. Yes. And if it's spicy, that kind of isn't a fun thing. So I would say overall drumstick. I also, I don't know if this is a normal thing or if I'm just weird, but I really am not a fan of my hands being like dirty and foody and sticky. So I've never been really big on like buffalo wings or ribs or crawfish. Like I enjoy all these foods, but I'm constantly wiping my hands. So I feel like I can keep my hands cleaner with a drumstick. So I'm probably a drumstick guy.
0: That was a very well, uh, (laughs) thought-out statement. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) I lean wing. I lean heavily wing. But I also, I'm with you in terms of I hate having my hands dirty. Like, it it actually makes my brain hurt when I see people eating wings and then looking at their phone. (gasps) I'm like, how are you touching your phone right now? I don't understand that. No, 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 no. Like, if I'm eating wings, I am solely focused on the wings or the ribs or whatever they are. And then I'm immediately going and vigorously washing my hands before I touch anything that belongs to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, don't, I just, I don't know. I don't like having dirty hands. Hey, uh, then we're well-equipped for, for the modern world.
1: Yeah, and you and I are equipped to go to a Buffalo Wild Wings, I guess, when the world resumes, and we'll get a big mix bundle, and I'll take all the drumsticks, and you'll take all the wings, and we'll uh, we'll watch some basketball.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, I only go to Buffalo Wild Wings for the strippers. I'm kind uh, of a reverse <laughs> that way, where... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're like a Will Williams where you're the anti. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, so that concludes Full Court Press. Get it like the news. I do get it. Wonderful. So great to hear. One two three,
0: three two one, three on three.
1: So Adam, for the very end of this episode, we have a very special interview, which I'm incredibly excited about. It's something that's been in the works for a while and we finally got to make it happen. Rayon Ali wrote the definitive book about NBA Jam, a 240 page book about probably my favorite video game, easily my favorite arcade game, no question. And we have a lovely interview with him to close out the episode. But before, we're gonna do a little three-on-three draft. And you came up with the idea for this, and I think it's amazing. So how about you let the listeners know what we're doing? I think it's so wonderful.
0: Oh, thank you. I just thought it would be a nice, heartfelt three-on-three that would allow our listeners to get to know us, and and specifically me, if I'm being honest, a little bit better, because I am still fairly new to the show. So my idea was, what are the 3 3 most treasured basketball-related items that you own. And this could be a wide array of things. This could be things that have sentimental value. They could be things that are pieces of memorabilia. Some story behind it. That's my idea. I think it is... Absolutely fantastic. I think uh, you should have
1: the call. Do you want to go first or do you want to save uh, your your final choice for the very end?
0: I'll save my final choice for the very end. So I'll let you go with your number three. Okay,
1: cool. So my number three selection is a video game that I have and it is the first basketball video game that I ever owned. This was a big inspiration for me in terms of getting to know a lot of the players in the league. And this really kickstarted my love with following the NBA on a greater scale. It's the video game NBA Shootout 1998 for the PlayStation 1. Oh, wow. So this, this was a game that was not as popular. Like, it didn't go on like... NBA Live, which started in 1995 and went along for many, many years, or like NBA 2K, which has now become, you know, a whole thing and is basically the basketball game that people play. But Shootout 98 had Hakeem Olajuwon on the cover doing a very animated, he's like very intensely dunking. (laughs) Everything is
0: very animated in video
1: games. (laughs) (laughs) His facial expression is just fantastic. And the game just has such a stellar opening credits that involves like a basketball flying through an arena and then eventually ends with the basketball crushing through the floor. And then there's lava underneath the floor and rising out of the lava is the logo that says NBA shootout 98. It was just so very fun. I remember playing as the Bulls almost exclusively because I was obsessed with Michael Jordan when I was six years old, as I think all six-year-olds probably were. I will say that Michael Jordan did that thing where he doesn't give his image and likeness to video games all the time. Right, so it's like roster guard number 99. Roster guard number 99, he had a mustache, which Michael Jordan does not have, but he was very good, uh, so you knew it was Michael Jordan even though it wasn't Michael Jordan. And I remember I used to always move Steve Kerr to the starting point guard because my dad said he liked Steve Kerr, so I'd always sub him in for Ron Harper. The game is so fun, but the best part about the game and maybe I'll have to find a way to get the audio from it and do a whole three-on-three on just this, but the announcer, much like the NBA Jam announcer, makes the game. The way that he announces players when they dunk the ball is so fantastic. So like when Hakeem dunks, he goes like Hakeem Olajuwon. Oh, and when Clyde Drexler dunks, he goes Clyde the Glide Drexler. And there's just every single player in the game had one of these things
0: like Tom Googlyata. Like it was so great. The way you're doing it almost has the cadence of like a like a preacher in a tent. <laughs>
1: It's just so great and just brought me so much joy and I absolutely enjoyed playing this game so much and I still have it because my PlayStation 3 can play PS1 games and every now and then I pop it in and load up a game and deal with the terrible control system and awful graphics so that I can hear my announcer scream my players' names.
0: I love it. I love it. That's a great number three. My number three is a framed photo of a scoreboard. And the significance of that photo is that it is the one game that my incredibly horrible Catholic Youth League basketball team won in five years of playing games. We were so bad. I played for a team called St. Joe's. I was with my friend Tim and I was good. Like I was a fairly good basketball player. But I should never be the best player on a team. Mm -hmm. It's almost indescribable how bad we were at basketball. Like we were like the bad news bears, except for Catholic Youth League (laughs) basketball. (laughs) I don't know if you ever played in a league like that, but we were absolutely atrocious. And I think it was our senior year. We finally played a team who was somehow worse than we were. And we managed to hang on and win the game. I think it was like 70 to 68 or something like that. And one of the parents took a photo of the scoreboard and (laughs) it's so sad, but she made copies of it for everyone and at our banquet at the end of the year which was always kind of an ironic banquet given that we had never won gave framed photos of the scoreboard to every player on the team
1: gosh that is incredible yeah
0: but what i feel badly about is that my best friend who is the reason i played on that team he was sick that week and he missed it (laughs) oh no yeah tough break yeah hey a win's a win man a win is a win is a win so my
1: number two is a piece of basketball equipment. It is my very recently retired basketball shoes, a pair of Kobe 11's elite that I made custom myself on NikeID.com. Or I guess I think they've rebranded to Nike by you, where you can like custom design like all the colors and designs of the shoes and stuff. Nice. But it's the first like truly nice pair of basketball shoes that I ever bought for myself. And in the face, I got them like pretty soon after I graduated college and was in the working world. And I was making my first big boy purchases like a mattress or like nice sunglasses or nice headphones. And my old basketball shoes were starting to lose their grip and stuff. Uh, So I ended up making this custom pair. And Kobe had these really cool shoes. This was after his Achilles tear injury. So the shoe design was a little bit inspired with that in mind. There's like four etches on the back heel because he got four really big stitches in the back of his heel when when you have the Achilles surgery. And then They had this like custom material on the side that did the pattern and it was all different sunset colors because it was like the twilight of his career because he was retiring in a couple years. So the design that I chose was one that starts blue on one side and goes to orange on the other. So it looks like NYX and then it's got like little shades of pink in the middle too, which I thought was really sweet. And then on the back heel, you could customize like there are all these different logo options. And one is like the Nike logo and then you could have a city abbreviation. So you could get like NY for New York or CHI for Chicago. And uh, for some reason they have NJ for New Jersey. So I got that on the back and then you could cut, I customized like the inside to have like number 17 on the tongue and all this stuff. And it was just like, they're really nice shoes. And it was the first time I really spent like a good chunk of money on basketball shoes that weren't either like hand-me-downs or just from like a clearance rack or something. It, It felt nice and they lasted me for a very long time. But then the most recent time I played in them. I, I hurt my foot and I'm like just now feeling better from it. So I think it's time to safely retire them, but I will keep them forever near and dear to my heart and never get rid of them.
0: Absolutely. And and you'll have to post a photo of those. Yeah,
1: yeah. I like them a lot. They were great. I think they look very cool. And I would always Lysol wipe them down after I played so that they would uh, last as long as they possibly could and not get like dusty and gross underneath.
0: I like it. My number two is another sentimental one. It is a basketball that is it is not I don't believe it is a Bulls basketball, but it is Bulls colors it's alternating red and black. And it is a ball that is signed by all of my friends Oh, yo! from (laughs) Illinois when I moved. That is so cool. Yeah. So when I I moved in fourth grade, we moved from the Chicago area out to New Jersey and my friends had arranged a surprise party for me. And the thing that's miraculous about it is I think the surprise actually worked. Like my memory of it is that I was kind of disappointed in the way that people are, that you think someone's going to have a going away party for you. And then it just seemed like nobody was doing that. And then my My best friend, Jason, I think was the one who organized it and was like, oh, you know, come over for one of your last nights. And then all of my friends were there and they had all signed this basketball. And that was like my parting gift because I was such a huge Bulls fan was this uh, red and black basketball that was signed by all my little my little Illinois buddies. That's fantastic. What
1: was it like moving when you were in fourth grade? Because I moved from New Jersey to Texas after eighth grade. So at least that was like a nice bookend. I graduated something. I was going into high school. It was already like a turning chapter. Fourth grade feels like right in the middle of stuff. So how was how dealing with all of that for you?
0: Well, I mean, I think the counterpoint to that is if you're in eighth grade when you move, you're already more established in one place. So I imagine that could have been tough for you. To be like, I don't know anyone from middle school to now go into this kind of frightening experience of high school. For me, I think I was young enough that when you're, you know, nine, 10 years old, it's fairly easy to make new friends in a new place. I think it was, it was harder on my sister because she was in seventh grade. Oh, it's so, the worst. Like, middle oh, middle school, yeah. Middle school is already kind of miserable. So to then be moving in the in the middle of it, I think was pretty difficult. I, also, there were minor cultural things that were different in terms of the vibe in the Midwest and then the vibe in New Jersey. And so there were some, some. Some fun and interesting mishaps my favorite of which is that in the midwest people refer to soda as pop oh yeah and my sister was asking somebody where the pop machine was and for some reason they thought she was asking where the pot machine was ah. and they were like i don't know where you came from but we don't just have a machine that sells that in <laughs> <middle> school." <laughs> maybe in the future when uh, marijuana is legalized you will see a pot machine but even then probably not in the middle school <laughs> You
1: wouldn't think. You would think not. (laughs) (laughs) So my number one most cherished basketball-related item is something that I believe I posted on the Instagram account or something. And and, uh, I know that you have seen uh, is a a signed Walt Frazier, big framed photo that I have. It's now thankfully hanging up right by our entryway in me and Kelly's new place for a while. It lived on the ground because she was like, where are we going to put this giant photo of Walt Frazier? So it's pretty big. So
0: for a while it was laying and decaying, (laughs) but now it's hanging and banging. (laughs) So it's like uh, 18 by
1: 24 photo. It's framed. I got it framed at like Framebridge where they do like all the nice stuff. It's got matte and everything. It's this big like natural wood frame. Like it's nice. And the reason I got it was when I was doing the engineering job, there were these things where you could get like points, like for doing stuff, whether you like either volunteered or like if your particular location, like I was at one of the plants that won like this big safety award. So we got a bunch of these bonus points and then you could use them to like get gifts and stuff. So you could get like GoPro cameras or Bluetooth speakers or whatever. So what I found out on this website where you use the points is like all the sports memorabilia was like incredibly cheaply priced where if you did the math, you were like going way above value. That's awesome. So I got a bunch of sports memorabilia from it. And the first and biggest purchase I got was this Walt Frazier thing. Cause like my dad's favorite player is Walt Frazier. I always like Walt Frazier. The way he says things like who's swishing and dishing on the broadcasting is always fun. He wears great suits. And I got this cause I finally was in a position where I could buy art and hang it in my apartment. Cause before I moved to Seattle, which is when I got it, I was in this rotational program with engineering. So I was moving every six months. So I didn't have like a lot of stuff. I would always just move with like two suitcases full of stuff. And then I would ship my bed and my dresser. And that was it. So I just did that for like two years of my life. And when I finally settled down at a place in Seattle where I was going to be long-term, I was like, I should get some sort of art. So it was like the first piece of art I got. And of course, me being a a boy living alone with no one else, I got a big old Nick's photo. And specifically, I like the photo because it is Walt Frazier doing a really cool pass around Wilt Chamberlain, which eventually sparked me getting a bunch of other photos of Knicks players doing cool things over very famous basketball players. So I got like Bernard King making a fadeaway jumper over Larry Bird and like a picture of Jeremy Lin in the game where he destroyed the Lakers and Kobe Bryant. So it was like the first piece of like real art I ever got. And uh, it hung up in my place in Seattle for two years. And it just it always makes me think of like living on my own, living in Seattle and like becoming a big boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And also I I love that Kelly still allows you to display it in your apartment.
1: Yes, it was. It was very nice of her. She's very patient with me in terms of like the stuff that gets hung and not. And she likes the photo enough and it fits pretty well in her little entryway. So she has given me the pass to let me hang it there. uh, And I thank her for it.
0: I love that. Um, My number one, it, it pertains to my favorite basketball player of all time. Michael Jordan. Yeah. I believe, I don't know if I'm going on a limb here, but uh, I believe that I'm not the only person who has that as a favorite basketball player. (laughs) Just a guess. Just a guess. There's a
1: couple. There's a couple.
0: But as I've alluded to before, I grew up in Illinois at the peak of Jordan's fame. So we moved in 1996, like literally, you know, a couple months after they had won the championship. They were 72 and 10 that year. Just an unbelievable team. And... We were very much middle class, if not more like lower middle class. So a lot of the things that I would have wanted, like, you know, a fancy jersey or, or Air Jordans, like it just was not something that was feasible. And my dad worked for MetLife at the time. And MetLife was one of the sponsors of the Bulls. And in my love for Michael Jordan, when I was, I think, in second grade, I had written this poem to and about Michael Jordan, about how much I loved him. And I cannot find it. I'm gonna to have to try to track it down. Oh, I think my parents yeah. must have it somewhere. But I do remember one line of it was, uh, "I love the way you steal. You're better than Shaquille O'Neal." Heck which yeah, I'm baby! Very proud of. It's a
1: hot take on the, on horse where we love Shack, but I mean, he. I think Michael Jordan is a better player. Shack is great.
0: Shack <laughs> is great. But it was it was the sort of poem you would expect from a second grader, which is like, <laughs> "I love the way you fly so high up in the sky. I love the way you shoot and the way you dunk to boot." Right, exactly. Uh, and so my dad evidently knew somebody who was fairly high up at MetLife and he somehow got this poem to this guy and this guy got it to Michael Jordan or to Michael Jordan's people. And all of a sudden I'm seven or eight years old and my dad shows up with this package and it's for me. And it was an eight by 10 signed Michael Jordan photo. (laughs) It, like, it absolutely blew my mind. And it's still in my room at my parents' house. I've always considered it my most prized possession. Literally to the point where, like, you know when you have those weird ideations when you're a child about, like, oh my gosh, what if the house burned down? Yep, like, yep, what beep, would beep, be beep, the beep, thing beep. I would grab? Like, that was the one thing that I would always grab. And I think just the idea that I could hold something in my hands that Michael Jordan held in his hands was more than my small child brain could imagine. You know, Michael Jordan doesn't necessarily have, like, the best reputation of always being a wonderful person all the time or or necessarily being gregarious with fans or that sort of thing. But, I mean, that meant... a a huge amount to me at that age, and still does. And a cool side note about that entire story is that when Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls for the second time, so this is 1998, we were in New Jersey by that time, and NPR, which my mom listens to religiously, was doing something where they were taking submissions about people who had cool stories about Michael Jordan. And I think she must have submitted the story saying like, you know, my son wrote this poem and uh, my husband brought it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And NPR had me read the poem on air. Yo! So when I was like in sixth grade my mom came to pick me up from school. I remember it was like before cell phones. So I got like a call down to the office and it was my mom saying like, hey, (laughs) NPR wants you to read this, but we need to go do it now. And I think we went home and I did it over the phone or something. So somewhere that exists, I have found the archive on NPR, but I can't figure out how to actually get access to the sound. So I know I'm teasing a lot of things that I might not actually have, but if and when I do find the poem itself and the reading of it from very high-pitched voice, you know, 11 <laughs> or 12-year-old me, uh, I will definitely share it. But it's something that I always, I think, cherish. And uh, not only for the physical item itself, but just what it represented for me at, at that time.
1: That is so awesome and so heartfelt. And I just love that we did this segment. My heart is so full.
0: My heart is also very full in this moment. Oh, so <laughs> To cool. quote Michael Scott, I think. <laughs>
1: So with that complete, we have a very special interview for this next segment of Horse Here. We are going to be talking about a book that is about a game that is so near and dear to my heart. It is something I think about often, I play often, and now I've had the opportunity to learn about it from this book, which makes me so incredibly excited. So joining Adam and I today is Rayan Ali, the author of NBA Jam. Rayan, how's it going?
2: It's going great. Thank you guys so much for having me.
1: Thank you for coming on and getting to knowledge us and teach everyone more about the most perfect basketball video game to ever exist that will ever exist.
2: Absolutely. And it is definitely the most perfect. I will. I spent four years learning about it. So I'll, I'll verify. It's the most perfect. I'll co-sign that.
0: <laughs> Four years researching it after presumably a lifetime of playing it.
2: Yes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I started way back when I was maybe 10 or 11. Yeah. So it's been a very long ride with me in NBA Jam. That's
1: fantastic. I will say, I think we can probably go on record and say that this is the definitive book about NBA Jam and that I don't know of any other book about NBA Jam that exists. And the fact that this book is over 200 pages, which I was very pleasantly
2: surprised to see. I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> there isn't really much competition out there. There's an NBA Jam strategy guide from like 94. There's one of those little pocket NBA Jam guides from like 95, I think. Um, there's a cool autobiographical story. or No, no, it's a bunch of short stories from this writer named Brian Ollew called Enter Your Initials. That's another NBA Jam book. But that being said, though, I will happily take the mantle of definitive NBA Jam book because somebody needs to have it.
1: (laughs) Just starting from the beginning, in terms of going from playing NBA Jam to writing a book about it, what is your relationship with it? When did you first start playing the game? Like, what made you such a fan of it that you wanted to go the ultimate next step and write a book about the game?
2: So just to give you a little bit of background on my writing career, I started writing, I think it was It was 2008, it was actually before I even graduated college. So for years I was a freelance writer. I was doing lots and lots of musical articles. So like if you'll open up an all weekly paper and you'll see a little preview of a band that's coming to town or you'll see like a little small column and spin something like that, that's kind of stuff that I would write. So I was a music writer for many years to about 2014. And I really wanted to do something more substantial after doing these short columns for so long and these short pieces for so long. So I pitched a couple of music books and both of them ultimately were rejected. It happens. Um, But then in 2014, I found this publisher called Boss Fight Books. And the whole idea with their press is that they do individual books about individual video games. So, yeah, so I learned about them in 2014. But a year later, they had an open call for pitches and they said, yeah, pitch your book to us. So I racked my brain. I thought, what is a video game that I would seriously have a shot of getting them to accept? And then something that I also love enough that I'd be willing to dedicate so much time to it and make it really good. Um, And I was like, oh, of course, NBA Jam. It was one of those things when I had that revelation immediately after I thought, why don't I have this revelation a minute earlier? Because NBA Jam was just so popular and so big once upon a time. And the fact that the only people that are really still talking about it are people of a certain age and older, and there's such a small subculture devoted to it. I wondered what happened over there, you know? How do you go from having a game that made a billion dollars in the arcade, and that's in quarter slash tokens, a billion, Going from that (laughs) to the point they're not even making games anymore. So, yeah, so I pitched it back in 2015. I went way above and beyond. I think most people will do pitches about 8 to 10 pages long for Boss Fight Books. I did 37 pages. I just wanted wanted the book right there. Like, they knew, they just said, basically, the book's already written right here. And I, you know, this is before I'd ever gotten anybody to sign off on anything. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's all about the rise and fall of NBA Jam and about what happened to Midway and that whole era of arcade games that's really kind of long gone now.
0: Well, yeah. And I, you know, I was thinking about this recently because I, (laughs) unfortunately, I was thinking of like, what are the last few things that I did in a pre-COVID world that now I would think of as being probably pretty gross. And one of them was going to like this dive bar in New York where the whole idea is it's a bunch of old arcade games and everything is just intentionally filthy. And I played NBA Jam in like mid-February in New York, which in retrospect, probably pretty risky. But I, I wonder... You know how do you obviously arcades are not what they used to be but do you see a world where people even play arcade games moving forward especially in light of everything that's going
2: on right now yeah yeah i would say that once all this clears up and once life gets back to normal i think people are going to go back to that But i mean like think about concerts where everybody's squeezed tight into a small club after coronavirus at some point life's going to go back to normal so i definitely think people will go back to the arcades although hopefully that arcades will finally have some kind of hand sanitizer there or clorox wipes (laughs) In fact, they probably don't even need that now because people are washing their hands before they come to the arcade. They needed that in the 90s and the 80s when that stuff was so nasty. Like, that was disgusting back then. Let's the cigarettes burns. Oh, so yeah. In retrospect, they should have started this a long time ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the uh, stickiness was part of the charm. You knew that somebody had spilled a soda on the arcade game before you just got there.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you knew a guy had just burned out his last cigarette on the side of the cabinet. <laughs> like, oh, that's where he was. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's
1: keep the trip down memory lane going and not to give away too much of the book, but I think for me, some of the most interesting parts were seeing just how the game got made from them getting the license to convincing the NBA that it would be a good idea to fighting over whether or not the game should be realistic. I didn't know this and I was so excited to learn that they did motion capture with a guy that one of the game developers just saw playing pickup basketball and was like, I like the way this guy plays. Let's make him do the motion capture. That's just a ridiculous origin for this Absolutely, it's
2: mind-blowing. It's even one of those those things that gets more mind-blowing the more I think about it. This fellow's name was uh, Willie Morris Jr. And he was playing pickup at a court in Chicago. And Mark Tormello, the main creator of NBA Jam, was actually, I'm not sure if he was deep in development. He was probably just starting development at this time. And he was looking for a ball player to stand in for NBA play. Players And, of course, they didn't have any access to NBA players at this time. You know, you really learn how ramshackle their operation was as you go through the book. But, yeah, so Termel found this ball player named William Morris Jr., who was a bouncer at night, and he was like a straight ball legend by day.
0: A bouncer at night and a bouncer by day in a different form.
2: Oh, you know what? (laughs) I have been spending years thinking about NBA Jam and William Morris Jr., and I never thought about that one. Kudos to you. Yes. A bouncer of two kinds. Yeah. So he was really talented and Tremel immediately knew that this was the guy. You know, Willie Morris was so incredibly athletic and talented that all those amazing dunks that you see and you remember from NBA Jam, they all came from him. They were all coming from this guy who was just found on a court in Chicago and decided to say yes to this bizarre offer of being in a video game in 1992. It's kind of weird now to somebody come up to you and uh, a stranger say, I want you to be my video game. But in 1992, that's really bizarre.
0: So, are you are you willing to go on record in saying that this uh, street ball player from Chicago could jump twenty to twenty five feet? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> scientifically
2: verified. And you know, of course, NBA Jam is one hundred percent rooted in reality, so I have no doubt that it's true. Yeah, all those <laughs> stats, man. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: That was one of my favorite things about reading it is learning of one of the game developers or someone who was in the decision-making process, Eugene Jarvis, when he saw the videos of the dunk made into the game, he said, I would like it if they jumped three times higher. And that man deserves a raise just for that because like you point out in the book, you say it took the game from having a realistic aesthetic to an exaggerated realism. And I think without that, NBA Jam is not NBA Jam. Like if it's real basketball, who cares? 100%. I
2: mean, the game went, be at all the same and i don't think it'd be the same level of cult classic without that that's one of the things that people remember so much i mean i think about you know why was it so popular it was popular because anybody could go up to the machine and play and anybody could do an amazing dunk and that was one of the things i was also surprised about when i was working on the book was how much of the stuff just happened like the dunks the crazy dunks they weren't part of the original pitch they just happened the on fire mode that wasn't part of the original pitch that just happened too. the uh, the announcer tim kitzrow you know boom shakalaka he's on fire there's actually going to be somebody else who's going to be in that role originally too. So all of these fundamental elements of this game that's so iconic now were almost completely different. And it's just so funny thinking about that alternate reality where you have NBA Jam with, you know, regular heights of dunks, no fire, but it almost happened.
0: Yeah, and I, I do actually have a question for you about the announcer. And I, you may have covered this in in the book. I wasn't able to, to read it cover to cover. But there's a... So I'm, I'm a stand-up comic, and there's a comic that I know who has this bit that I love about NBA Jam. And it pertains to the fact that at least the claim in the bit is that the announcer for NBA Jam got paid a session fee and just made like $700 and didn't get any residuals. Is that true? Is that is that bit based in reality? That is sadly true,
2: yeah. Oh, no! So Yeah, no, it, it actually gets sadder the more you learn about it. Um, so the original voice for NBA Jam, or at least who was gonna be the voice was John Hay, who was the sound guy on NBA Jam. And Mark Trammell said, hey, John, you should be the announcer for this game. And he said, actually, I know somebody else. And he knew Tim Kitzrow, who he knew through, yeah, the Chicago music scene is what it was. So Tim Kitzrow was a waiter and he was also an actor and he was like a drummer and some local band. John Hay met Tim Kitsrow, and they started working together on pinball and then they eventually worked together on NBA Jam. NBA Jam was Tim Kitsrow's very first video game, like the very first, which is wild. Like having that huge of a hit right out the gate is just, I mean, what are the odds? But yeah, he was getting paid 50 bucks an hour, I think, for the sessions. And in 1992, for that struggling actor, that was amazing money. It's like, oh yeah, 50 bucks an hour to talk about basketball. That's great. <laughs> um, and then of course, NBA Jam comes out, ends up making this insane amount of money. And Tim never had any kind of royalty clause or anything like that in there, so he got maybe a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred bucks or so from the original NBA Jam. And then, what's worse about it too is that when they're working on the home games, you know, by now NBA Jam's a hit. Tim thought, okay finally, this is going to be my opportunity to really take this to the next level. Hopefully I can cash on this huge phenomenon. I think he was asking for $3,000 instead of 1500 And a claim who made the home game said, no, we don't, we're not going to pay you more for it. We're going to pay you the same rate. And he said, no, he said, I don't want to do it then. And he was trying to you know, sick to his guns, but he thought maybe, you know, what if they're going to go ahead and make NBA Jam without me? Luckily, Acclaim finally came to their senses. Somebody over there was like, you can't get rid of this guy for $3,000. This is the guy. And of course, Tim Kitzrow stays. He comes, uh, you know, his voice comes out of the home game. It's really iconic over there too. And then the home versions of NBA Jam, just the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis ones alone, sell 6 million copies. And... You know, this guy's like trying to negotiate for $3,000. So it was really uh, interesting inside of the world the arcade business and the video game business. You know what I mean? Like, you love this stuff. You're like, oh, everybody's happy. Everything's great. People are getting paid. Everybody's making a lot of money. No, they're not. Some people are and other people aren't.
1: I think the only saving grace is I do know that there are tons of other iterations of NBA Jam. So I just want to hope that he didn't get screwed out on the other ones. But that leads me to a question that I had for you because there were so many Different versions of NBA Jam. You have the original, then you have Tournament Edition, which is my favorite, the ones that they made for the home game systems. I have an iPhone game that I've been playing ever since college that I still play when I'm bored. There are so many different spinoffs like NBA Showtime, too. Do you have a favorite uh, or a least favorite, or just like the fact that there are now, there's the NBA Jam extended universe? How do you feel about all the spinoff games that were born from this original arcade game?
2: There's some good, there's some bad. Towards the late 90s is when there was a lot of bad. So that was when Acclaim took over uh, the NBA Jam license. So just to give you an idea of the lineage, you've got Midway uh, making all the arcade games, the original NBA Jam and NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Then Acclaim comes along, makes the home games for NBA Jam and NBA Jam Tournament Edition. By now, NBA Jam is a cash cow, so things go how they went. And Acclaim ends up taking the NBA Jam license and making this game called NBA Jam Extreme which is terrible. They got Joan Howard to do the motion capture, which I did not know until I was working on this book. I was like, wow. That is
1: a horrible decision.
2: Yeah. And it's like, they didn't even put it in their advertising. So it's like, I didn't even know that Jawan Howard was involved in this game. And I'm the guy who's writing the book on this stuff. I mean, the Midway games are fantastic though. I mean, NBA Hangtime, NBA Showtime. My personal favorite is NBA Hangtime. But the idea of this NBA Jam Extended Universe is cool in theory, but it's pretty sad when you look at some of the games that came out in the late 90s. Like there's games that people basically forget exist. Like NBA Jam 99, I think Keith Van Horn on the cover.
0: It is Keith Van Horn on the cover. I remember that. And Bill Walton was doing the commentating in that game.
2: Yeah, yeah. That was either 99 or 2000. And there was like a 2001 version that was on the Game Boy Color that I didn't know existed. So it was one of those things where it was clearly it made a lot of money originally. And everybody thought it was just going to keep making money. But I think part of the beauty of it, NBA Jam is that it is what it is. And you can't really do too much with that. You know, that concept, you can't really extend it. The same way that you can with sim games. I'm kind of ambivalent about some of uh Acclaim's entries and kind of sad about NBA Jam Extreme, but I do love some of the Midway entries.
0: Well, Midway. When I think Midway, there is a, a phrase that is seared into my brain, and I don't know how. I think we're probably a comparable age, but th- this exact phrase, "Midway presents NFL Blitz," <laughs> is stuck in my <laughs> brain. Such a good- For the
2: rest of my life. Absolutely. I thought, honestly, I thought you were going to say that exact line when you said, Midway, as soon as you started with Midway, he's going to go with (laughs) NFL Blitz. Absolutely. That's that's buried in my brain, too. God, I wasn't even as huge of a Blitz fan as I was an NBA Jam fan. But that line and the commentary in that game is just amazing. That's fantastic.
0: That Because there were all those games that were kind of similar and very much inspired by NBA Jam. Like, I don't think you get NFL Blitz without NBA Jam. I don't think you get MLB Slugfest without NFL Blitz and NBA Jam. So it kind of built on itself at a certain point.
2: You know, I think that they knew that NBA Jam was going to be a hit. They obviously didn't know that NBA Jam was going to be NBA Jam. But they knew immediately from like, as it came out that, you know, they were going to work on this wrestling game, WWF WrestleMania, NHL Open Ice, which was the first NHL game they did back in the mid 90s. And then, yeah, Hits and Slugfest and Blitz. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some over there, too. Red Card Soccer. I mean, that's one of those other signs of how popular the game was, where I was able to create not just ripoffs, but entirely new franchises in that style of gameplay from Midway. So it was one of those gifts that really kept on giving for them. Totally.
1: That's fantastic. Now, I think we have to get to this question of it. Now that you are literally the person who wrote the book on NBA Jam, uh, when you are playing the game, who is your your go-to dynamic
2: duo to play with gotta be Stockton and Malone
1: yes okay that's me too yeah
2: <laughs> so for me Stockton Malone number one is because of the obvious I mean you got the big man little man thing you've got the stealing the dunking the three points shots all that within just these two guys but then also from a historical perspective I always really appreciate them I'd say maybe even more than other duos in NBA Jam and that's because the very first night when the game went on test the game didn't actually have any stats in it that mattered So everybody played the same. So one of the first things that the midway team noticed was somebody saying, make sure that the ball doesn't get close to Stockton. He's going to steal it. Even though John Stockton was no better at stealing than Karl Malone or Patrick Ewing or John Starks or whomever. And then the guys at midway were like, "Okay, this, you know, we need to definitely implement this feature of these stats because without it, it's going to be a totally different game. It's funny. It's one of those things like with M&Ms, you know, they're all the different colors on the outside, but you swear that one tastes a little bit different. It was really (laughs) much like that with NBA Jam right (laughs) off the bat. So I really appreciate the fact that the Jazz were such big inspirations to the NBA Jam team that after leaving the arcade that night or a night thereafter, they actually went back to the office to start working on the stats, all because of that John Stockton exchange.
1: I think that's really cool. I think that's fun. They were always my favorite. I've always found them as an easy way because I would be Stockton, and if I played with my wife or someone who isn't as familiar with the game, it's very easy to have someone be Carl Malone and be like, just dunk the ball and block the shots, and I'll just steal it and shoot threes. It's a nice, like division of responsibilities on offense and defense.
0: I have to be honest with you. I, I feel some type of way about Stockton and Malone because my dad actually met them. This was like at the peak of their fame. He was on some business trip. So this is when the Bulls were playing the Jazz in the finals, those back-to-back years. And he meets Stockton and Malone. And John Stockton was very nice to my dad and signed an autograph for me. And Carl Malone wanted nothing to do with
2: it. I'm not surprised.
0: <laughs> you don't say. Yeah,
2: is disappointing. But... Not surprising, it, it does track
0: with like their personalities, yeah. Unfortunately, so yeah,
1: I knew a little bit about this before going in, but I would love to just make sure I know all of the little behind the scenes info. I know that they have fun little additions in the game where you can play as specific characters that aren't listed, like you can play as the Beastie Boys or you can play as presidential candidates, uh, all of the different options. Later iterations, you can play as like mascots and stuff like that. I feel like I saw this going around Reddit a month or so ago about how the game, at least the original one, was programmed where the Chicago Bulls could not make a game winner over the Pistons if time was going to expire, little things like that. Are there other little like hidden things that someone might not know about the game if they just go in and pop in some quarters and and queue up a game?
2: So at this point, most of the stuff is out there just because it's been so popular and it's been around for so long. I'd say the kind of stuff that I learned about through this book that was really cool that I didn't know about before uh, would be stuff that was cut from the original game. So for example, there was a Godzilla secret character for about five minutes in the original (laughs) Yeah. And so this Godzilla secret character, just to give you an idea of of what Midway's operation was like, it was actually just a Godzilla figure, it was a toy that was being rotated in front of the camera, and then they would cut the image and then put it on somebody's, uh, on the player's head. And there was Godzilla and then Bart Simpson. So there's there's a video of this out there, I gotta send it to you guys. But Midway thankfully came to their senses and thought, this is a horrible idea. If we don't tell Fox or Toho or anybody that we're putting Godzilla and Bart Simpson in the game, 100% something would have happened, 100%. I also just recently remembered that uh, Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers was supposed to be in the home versions, too. And then, let's see. Oh, there was one more. Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent was also almost going to be in NBA Jam, too. So what an interesting cast of characters you've got. You've got Godzilla, Bart Simpson, Flea, and Ted Nugent, all NBA Jam characters that and, never and, happened.
0: And I assume he would have played for the Denver Nugents. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll leave. I'll see I'll see myself out.
2: I'll give you the bouncing. I'll give you the, the two ty- types of bouncer, but that, that, was, yeah, that was pretty rough. And the thing, too, with this is that... Those iconic celebrities, they weren't paid for the game. So, like, obviously, you know, Bill Clinton being in the game, you wouldn't expect him to get paid, but you would expect somebody like Heavy D or DJ Jazzy Jeff or, I don't know, Randall Cunningham, who I think might have had a game with a claim even to get paid for. But nope, it was just the Wild West back then. So all of these different characters were added in the game without the actual people who were, you know, were represented there even knowing.
1: Wow. Man. Yeah. Wow. What a time. What a time. So one question that I do have, I know that you had talked about how the book goes through kind of the downfall and how necessarily there haven't been many successful NBA Jam games recently, though I stand by the iPhone game. I think it's very fun, though. The turnaround fadeaway jumper is overpowered uh, and it goes in way more than regular three pointers, I will say, for anyone trying to you know beat the computer out there. Now in the NBA, we have a recent trend where we see a lot of super teams not necessarily having a big three, but you see it f- shaped around two really solid solid players, and then a supporting cast of characters. So in this particular offseason, a lot of people were raising the claim that now is the perfect time for a new NBA jam because you've got Kawhi and Paul George on the Clippers and LeBron and AD on the Lakers. You know, Giannis and Chris Middleton on the Bucks. Like you have all these teams with two people, Damon uh, CJ on the Trailblazers,
0: RJ Barrett and Mitch Robinson on the Knicks. Mike, uh, don't try to sneak that in there. Don't try to, I, didn't, I didn't bring up any of my Zach Levine bullshit. That's...
1: So do do you think uh, whether or not like there's been any rumblings about it? Like, I think that the, the time is right for it, but is there any sort of hope of a new NBA jam coming and trying to capitalize on how the current NBA is set up with a lot of teams with two star players?
2: I don't think there's gonna be a new NBA jam anytime soon, unfortunately, but I do think it's gonna happen again. So yeah, so some of the research I was trying to do for the book was figuring out, you know, who actually has this license now? Like, why did EA make that game in 2010 and 2011 and then not do anything with it? and I wasn't able to find a whole lot of information out. Uh, but from what I understand, EA held the license to the game through, I think 2019. They might still hold it today. I don't necessarily think so. But yeah, now's the perfect time to bring back NBA Jam. I mean. I think NBA Jam would be best brought back if you kind of lower people's expectations. I mean, you get them hyped for the game, but you don't say this game is going to be as big as the original NBA Jam. This is the exact same thing because it's clearly not going to be and it's never going to be. It would be great if it came back. I don't think it's going to come back anytime soon, unfortunately, because if EA still is anywhere near the license, they just – don't really want to do anything with it which is really peculiar because that game actually that iphone game um and the one that was on uh, the xbox and playstation systems was actually a big hit it was on a pretty small budget and it sold a ton of copies and the whole team was thinking okay you know we're gonna do nba jam again or at least something else will come of it but nothing happened that said though you know with a franchise like nba jam like it will come back someday i absolutely absolutely believe it I just don't think it's going to happen next year or two while this is the time to do it, unfortunately.
1: There is – I believe I heard about them making – I forget the name of the company that does it, but they make like refreshed versions of old school arcade consoles. Aren't they doing one for NBA Jam that at least was originally going to come out like in the fall of this year or something? Yeah, yeah. It's
2: called Arcade 1UP. So yeah, the whole idea is that they do – uh, smaller, I think it's like three quarter size arcade machines, arcade cabinets. And NBA Jam came out, I think maybe a month or so ago, which was super <gasps> cool. I wasn't expecting that to happen because I know there was this huge issue with it. But yeah, there's actually some players missing from the game, and I haven't gotten a chance to play it myself, but I really want to because I've I've heard that actually Reggie Miller decided to not opt into whatever the agreement was or wasn't on there. So no Reggie Miller and NBA Fuck Jam. Fucking yeah. That's good so riddance. I mean,
0: come
2: on. <laughs> oh, I
1: hate Reggie Miller. I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. In that case,
2: then we can celebrate. We'll pop champagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's super cool. And that, yeah, that came out maybe a month or so ago. And I think you can get it at a couple of different retailers There's Walmart and Best Buy, maybe GameStop. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to play it myself, but it looks amazing. The idea of NBA Jam in your home is just so cool.
1: I agree. I'm going to have to start putting uh, all the quarters that I would be spending at arcade games into a piggy bank so I can get one in my home where I can wash my hands all of the time. Well, well, Ryan, thanks so much for joining on and sharing a little information about your book, the game. If people want to find your book and, and read it, where can they do so? Yeah. Where
2: can they get it? Uh, so NBA Jam, the book is over on Amazon and yeah, you can just look up NBA Jam, the book, and I'm not too hard to find over on Amazon, over on the publisher's website, boss And then in the event that you want a signed copy of the book, I've also got a Twitter account that I use as kind of a, like a through way for signed copies. Um, so yeah, I'm at At NBA Jam Book on Twitter. Just get in touch with me if you want to sign copy. It's like five bucks more than uh the copy off of Amazon. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's so cool to be able to talk about NBA Jam. And honestly, I geek out all the time still about NBA Jam, even though I spent four years working on this book and I've spent so much time thinking about it and talking about it. But yeah, what a special game. Sorry, my love for NBA Jam is taking my plug way off the rails. No,
0: by all means. (laughs) Speaking of which, do you charge extra to write boom shakalaka along with the
2: signature? <laughs> oh, no, that's part of the deal. That's complimentary. Deal. Oh, yeah, it's complimentary. And I throw in trading cards. So if you get a signed copy, I say, like, name some teams um, or some players, and I see what I've got in my collection, and you get some cards right from my old collection in the 90s. <laughs>
1: Nice. That is awesome. That's a great deal. And then you also don't have to buy a book from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> so everyone's a winner if you get a signed
2: copy. The reality is with Amazon, you got to use it, but they take like a really high cut. It's like 30 or 40% or something.
1: So we'll put a link on the website of all the non-Amazon ways to purchase the book, uh, such as the digital copy, which I have, which works great. I love it. It's a good little PDF that I got.
2: Yeah, boss if you don't want to support Jeff Bezos and his <laughs> – if you don't want to add to his empire of billions, <laughs> so –
1: for sure, for sure, we all we all don't want to do that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining on. We really appreciate taking the time, and uh, I will have to say that I think you did very well in this interview. So very clearly, I think that uh,
2: he's on fire for oh, the whole there time. There it is. God, I love it. I'm loving this. I wow. I don't think I was prepared for these level of puns and the imitations. Man, I'm thinking. Thank you guys so much for having me on. That was a blast. Of course.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse Horses hosted by Adam Mamawala and Mike Schubert. Today's episode was edited and mixed by Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike
0: Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is
1: by Allison Wakeman and the website is by Kelly Schubert.
0: Thank you to our producer level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Wouter Vandermaden, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shuby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Stuff Corey for three, He oh, Sell Seashells, Leron <laughs> James, Matt Barger and Lab Bisque. Find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops. Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because
1: uh, Horse Hoops decided that the announcer from NBA Jam shouldn't get paid his rightful amount. He tried to screw him out of money.
0: Justice for that guy, whose name I forgot. Sorry. <laughs>
1: I, I forgot it as well, but justice for him. Please, please, please. And if you want access to some sweet bonus content, such as us turning three on three into five on five or overtime, where Adam and I just talk about NBA stuff adjacent, we talked more in depth about the bubble and things like that, uh, you can head on over to Patreon.com slash Horse Hoops.
0: And if you want to see links to any of the things we've talked about today, including NBA Jam references, Mike's shoes, possibly that scoreboard photo, (laughs) if I can find it, check out our website, horsehoops.com.
1: And as we round out every episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. I think it is only fitting to say something that the NBA Jam announcer says after a big old dunk. I feel like Boom Shakalaka is the most iconic, so I think we should just say that on the count of three. I think that sounds good. Alrighty. One, two, three.
0: Boom Boom Shakalaka! Boom
1: Wow, that was pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Gosh, it's just so satisfying. There's, so oh, they're all so good. Kaboom! Uh, oh, incredible. We're gonna, we gotta get that guy in the pod. I'm gonna start sending some emails. Reach out. We got, he, he can't be that hard to find. Can we start a GoFundMe for him? <laughs> yeah, I just feel so bad.
2: I hope he got some sort of royalties out of something afterwards, man.